Welcome to the Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the field of psychology and mental health, with host Gabe Howard and co-host Vincent M. Wales. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Psych Central Show podcast. My name is Gabe Howard, and with me, as always, is Vincent M. Wales. And today, Vince and I will be talking with Brett Francis. Brett's mission is to educate individuals and society at large about mental health and why having mental health issues or a family member with them is a lot more normal than people think. Brett, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure. Definitely glad to have you. Brett, my first question is this. How did this become your mission? What happened in your life to push you in this direction? Yeah, well, it uh, it was a long road, I'll tell you that for sure. I When I was six years old, I was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome and severe ADHD. And then, of course, 17, I was re-diagnosed with the same, but in addition, anxiety, OCD, and panic disorder. Now, that doesn't mean that I only had anxiety when I was 17. Since I can remember, I've been struggling with anxiety and panic and mental health, mood regulation, all those kinds of things. And I think a lot of it was from being bullied when I was in high school. I was bullied very badly. I was shoved in lockers every day. And that really was the the big start of it. You know, when I was seven years old, my parents said, oh, just tell everybody that you've got Tourette syndrome. Well, as you guys know, mental health is is miseducated or or maybe not known a lot about sometimes or it's a taboo topic, which, you know, we're all working at bringing some more awareness to it, you know, and making it less taboo and more of normal conversation. But Tourette's is still one of those things that is very misunderstood. And so people would think, oh, she's going to be swearing like the girl on the movies or like this person in the movies. And so I got really ridiculed and bullied for my Tourette syndrome for a very long time, shoved in lockers every day. And I was, uh, and then it was when I was 15 years old, I was raped for my first time. And then, you know, through that, I did a lot of substance abuse and I really was starting to fail in school after my rape and so I had a lot of mercy passing because the teachers felt sorry that I was being bullied and at this time you know there wasn't a lot of education about not only Tourette syndrome but mental illness parents did the best that they could but it was still a really really big struggle for me and so when I turned 18 years old I uh, well very shortly after I turned 18 I actually got pregnant um, unexpectedly with my high school sweetheart And then at 19, I had a miscarriage at about four months. And then I hit rock bottom. And through all of this, after my rape, after some traumatic events in my life, and then again after my miscarriage, was the last attempt that I had on my own life to take my own life. And so I've struggled through my whole life. And and still to this very day, I have bad days. And I just want to bring, my mission has become that because I want to bring awareness to mental health and help people understand that it is normal. It's just like having diabetes or you get a broken leg, so you get it casted, so you have mental illness, you, you try medication, you know, really working at normalizing that because, you know, I would have done anything for somebody to be able to relate to me and say, hey, that doesn't make you a screw up. Um, like I felt a lot of my life, I felt very broken for a very big portion of my life. And that's why I do what I do is not only because I'm passionate about it, but I just, you know, I, I, I love every minute of it. And that's become my, my life's mission. I love that. And I also love the way that Vin asked the question. It's like, we see that you're a mental health advocate. What happened to you? And yeah. I, 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 I say that to be a little <laughs> bit funny, but it, it really is true. I've noticed that people in the mental health advocacy space 
are either people like like me, I, I live with bipolar disorder, or people like you with Tourette syndrome and, and you know anxiety and and everything that we just learned about you. Vin, of course, has persistent depressive disorder, and it's it really seems like either you or somebody that you love suffers from a mental illness in order to really occupy this space. And I, I'm hoping that someday. Someday I will walk up to somebody and say, oh my God, you're a mental illness advocate. Why? And they'll say, because mental illness is serious. And I'll be like, well, but, but you have it, right? No. A loved one? No. Mental illness is serious. We, we need to help out. And I, that will just be like a great day. A great day. It would. <laughs> you know, I really look forward to that day too. Just to hear, yeah, I'm passionate about it. You know, you hear kids talk about being an astronaut, a geologist, you know, a tradesperson where or veterinarian or uh you know six foot tall blonde model that's what i want to be when i grow up still by the way guys um <laughs> i like you know, it and and where is the oh i'm passionate about mental illness and i want to stop the stigma just because i can you know instead of being an astronaut or whatever you know i look forward to that day as well so earlier you mentioned tourette syndrome and how it's so misunderstood mm -hmm. because as as you pointed out most people just think of it as the stereotypical swearing without any kind of restraint sort of thing but it takes many other forms can you can you share some of those with our audience so the swearing is actually called coprolalia and it is only it only happens to four to seven percent of people with Tourette syndrome so Tourette syndrome is divided into a couple of different things you have motor tics and then you have verbal tics and then out of those each of those there's simple and then there's complex tics simple ones would be like hand jerk sniffing snorting blinking your eyes lip smacking things like that those are really a lot of the common simple ones and then now when we get into the complex ones, that can be anything from like, I've had days where I am, my tics are so bad that I feel like I need to echo sounds on a on an action movie or something, or some people, you know, feel the need to bark like a dog or repeat themselves saying something and they have to say it in just the right way and just the tone of voice. That one I actually know, like I said, from, you know, the sound effects in movies, or you have to scream or things like that. So, you know, it's a lot of different, uncontrollable. And sometimes I'm like, wow, I didn't know that my Tourette would want me to do that. You know, like you just have these new tics and they, they're ever changing. So when I was younger, I did have quite a bit of prominent verbal tics and I was yelling. I never swore, but in the middle of my sentences, they were, my sentences were like a hundred different volumes. I'd be from screaming at the top of my lungs to like hardly mumbling. I had this one where I had to breathe all of my air out. And I had to go oh, and breathe it all out to the point where I had nothing left in my lungs. And, but, you know, as you age and mature into it, uh, you can either grow out of it or you can continue on with it. And it's fairly mild because it's worse in your hormonal years when you're going through puberty and all that stuff. But, you know, as you mature into it, your tick kind of gets solidified. There's a few solid ones and then there's a few ones that are like moving. And so it's sometimes, you know, every six months I'll be surprised and I'll be like, oh, this one's fun. You know, so it's, uh, it's, it's changing. And so sometimes that's, it's, it's new, but it's also frustrating sometimes because you're like, oh, I just got used to the one that I was, you know, the, the new one that I had six months ago, you know, now I have another tick. So, and sometimes you go three years and you don't have a new one. Hmm. Very interesting. I did not know that either. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. You are the host of the Not Broken radio show, which is heard on many different radio stations throughout America. Can you tell us why did you name it Not Broken? Well, it, uh, it actually followed my book. So my book's called Not Broken, and that's where I came up with Not Broken. Because I spent a large portion of my life feeling very broken and going into psychologists, psychiatrists, 
counselors appointments and even you know people in the general population with the stigma I felt like a screw up and like I couldn't do anything right um and I'm sure that you guys have felt like that before with your mental illness many times many times you know that's not a good feeling to have like you don't fit anywhere and so the book and the not broken name was inspired by feeling like that for a lot of my life so I say you know whenever I talk about mental health my my slogan is not broken because people with mental health challenges and disabilities are not broken and they don't need to be you know stereotypically fixed it doesn't mean that they won't need to learn to manage or it doesn't mean that they don't need help but they're not broken you know we don't look at a person with diabetes as broken we look at them as somebody who needs to to manage that disease and I think we should look at mental illness and things I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much. I, I love that. I love that. Thank you. Let's talk about how mental health and physical health are linked. It's something that Gabe and I have brought up several times over the course of our show, but I don't think it's ever been spoken about enough. you have any input on that? I'll share a personal story. Recently, on my spouse's side, his nephew, he's 15 years old, and he was hearing voices and he was scared that he was going to harm himself and other people. And so he said, like, you know, I need, I need help. I'm voicing this. And we took him into the hospital and the hospital said, oh, he's hearing voices, you know, but he, and the mental health worker, crisis worker comes in and says, um, he told me that he's not worried about harming anybody, that he, he also promised that he wouldn't harm himself or others. And we said, well, he's 15 years old, like he's, he's impulsive, you know, and he's worried about that that impulse may strike and that's when it's going to happen. It's not like it's premeditated. And so we really struggled because they wanted to see somebody for chest pains or a broken leg, or there was a person in there that, that also they were treating for an overdose. They want to see the physical stuff. And, and, and I don't think that it's that they don't take it seriously. I think it's they're not 100% sure what to do in the hospitals because there, there's a lack of resources. And so anyways, I basically sat down and I plumped my butt down in the chair and I said, look, we're not leaving here until this gets taken seriously. He's got a younger brother at home and he's worried he's going to hurt somebody or himself and he's hearing voices. And I said, you know, he needs to be seen, he needs to be treated and he needs to be admitted. And I said, so we're not signing any kind of liability release or self-care plan or non-self-harm plan because they, they get you to sign these papers and they tried to get him to sign them without, you know, without anybody being present. And, you know, I felt like it was really not like he wasn't be t being taken seriously. And like I said, not at the fault of the, the people who work in the hospital because, you know, the nurses and the doctors are amazing and they're great at what they do and they care for people. And that's incredible. But I just think that they really didn't know what to do. And it, especially because it was, you know, a northern rural community, it was very difficult for them to, to know, like they had to call the mental health crisis team and then the crisis team had to call the psychiatrist and then the psychiatrist finally said, okay, admit this as this 15 year old boy. And so I think that, you know, we really need to work at, and I was reading an article as well in, in many states and provinces in the US, Canada, everywhere and all over the world, people that go into emergency rooms for mental illness are often discharged. And, and those are the people that are, are back you know, and they continue to come back because they continue to struggle. And so, I, you know, sometimes people know that they're struggling mentally and sometimes they don't. So they go into the hospital. Like with me, when I was panic disorder, I would go into the hospital when I was younger for chest pain thinking I was having a heart attack. Well, it wasn't a heart attack. It was my panic disorder. 
And so being a person that's been dismissed in the hospital without things like that being taken seriously, and then having to wait, you know, after you've been there four times because you're having chest pains, then then waiting for 16 hours, it's just a really frustrating thing. So having been in those shoes before in the in the emergency room for mental illness, with, with the lack of resources and education and the lack of the link that we're talking about for mental health and physical health, when the two go hand in hand, I mean, if you're depressed, the first thing I do when I'm depressed is I put on sweats and sit on the couch. So your personal hygiene goes, so your mental health directly affects your physical health and vice versa. I'm not feeling well physically. I'm not having a good day mentally either. And I'm sure that you guys with your diagnoses see the same thing. Oh yeah, it, it's fascinating to me. You know, physical health is, is your body and mental health is your brain. But of course your, your brain is in your body. You know, we don't have mental health, physical health, and then a separate stage for heart health because we understand that the heart is in the body. It's like everything is is combined except for the way that we think and feel. And you're right, it absolutely drives everything. Uh, people who are depressed are more likely to smoke, they're more likely to overeat, they're less likely to exercise, they're less likely to build, uh, you know, sustainable friendships or relationships. So that's a support system. Uh, everything mm -hmm. just sort of spirals out of control from these thoughts and feelings that definitely have, you know, a massive impact on our our physical safety and surroundings and potentially, I always like to say potentially, uh, the, the safety of those around us. And the fact that you knew what you were looking for and came in and said it and, and you still had, you know, some pushback, um, you know, it is obviously something that we want to change. I like how you said, you know, we're not trying to throw people under the bus or blame them. We're just saying that we have to do better. Exactly. You know, and, and those nurses and doctors were amazing. And once he was admitting, admitted, they were great. But, you know, a lot of times the nurses on the ER, because he was put in the pediatric ward, they are not 100% sure how to handle it. And he had a suicide watch nurse that was at his side 24-7. And they're not entirely sure, like, what to say to him. They, they have to either, you know, do the steps of calling the mental health crisis team. Well, they were only in Monday to Friday, 9 to 4. And then the psychiatrist wasn't in until Mondays, and he worked Monday to Friday as well. So when you really have an emergency on a Saturday night, essentially that system, like I said, no fault of anybody involved, but that system is you got to be in the hospital for two days or get discharged and come back on Monday or wait six months or a year to get referred to a psychiatrist and specialist. So, you know, it's, it's really frustrating being on the other end of that, being the person who's experiencing it for themselves or for a loved one, being able to say, look, I know that this is happening, especially even when I went in, like you said, saying that I know what's happening, still being unintentionally given the dismissive and the runaround. I don't think people were intentionally trying to brush it off. I just think they didn't know what to do with it. So finally, the psychiatrist was called after, you know, four hours of emergency. Well, and I think your experience, too, also speaks to the tragic shortness of psychiatrists that we have right now. And you said it was in a rural area, which just adds to the uh, to the problem there. Yeah. And then there's less resources for counseling and stuff in rural areas where people aren't in a main center. Exactly. Exactly. We will see you in a moment after we hear from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. 
Secure, convenient, and affordable online counseling. All counselors are licensed, accredited professionals. Anything you share is confidential. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist whenever you feel it's needed. A month of online therapy often costs less than a single traditional face-to-face session. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash psych central and experience seven days of free therapy to see if online counseling is right for you. Betterhelp.com forward slash psych central. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Brett Francis, author of the book, Not Broken. So what are, as you put it, mental illness superpowers? Well, um, mental illness superpowers, I actually kind of, you know, came up with that through, you know, building my career and speaking and things like that, where I realized, you know, I can actually use my mental illness to, to an advantage here. Like it doesn't have to be always something that cripples me it doesn't have to be always something that makes me feel like garbage it doesn't have to be always something that I'm judging myself for or other people I feel like other people are judging me for it doesn't have to be a downfall and it doesn't have to be so to speak a fault that I look at you know we all look at ourselves in the mirror and point out our own imperfections um people with mental illness look look at look into their own minds and point out the flaws that they think they have and they they judge themselves for it and we're our own worst self-critics and so you know a big part of what I do is really embracing that mental illness and figuring out what has it brought to your life. And initially people say to me like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like I live with depression or I'm chronically depressed. How has that brought any benefit to my life? And one of my friends that has chronic depression, I said to her, I said, think of something that it's brought, like, who do you think you wouldn't be or what, what has it brought to your life? Well, and took her hours. So she finally calls me back and says, you know, uh, Brett, I'm a paramedic and I care for people for a living and I don't think that I'd be without depression. And I'm really empathetic, so I'm really in tune as well with other people's feelings and I can provide empathy, I can be a good wife and I can really understand where people are coming from and empathize with how they're feeling and also pick up on it. And I said, well, what's not great about that? So for me, one of the first things was, well, if I didn't have OCD, I wouldn't be organized enough to, to do my own thing. You know, <laughs> I'd be so scatterbrained. I wouldn't be organized enough to, to, to be in business, to run a business, to write books. And not saying I don't struggle with those things and that I don't have bad days. But without the OCD, I wouldn't be a business owner. Without my ADHD, I wouldn't be as creative. Without my anxiety, I wouldn't have the amount of energy that I do and the amount of passion that I do. Without my Tourette syndrome, I wouldn't be who I am or what I am today and doing what I do today. If I hadn't had the past of my bullying, my substance abuse, if I hadn't had all those, I mean, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't wish those things on my worst enemy, but those things are what's made me the person that I am today, sharing my story, the person that loves to change people's lives, the person that loves to bring awareness to mental health and fight for the advocacy. I would not be that person had I not had my diagnoses. So that's what mental health superpowers are. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. And I I like the way uh, that that you worded it and tried to tie it together. You know, sometimes I go the other way where I say that, you know, there's no superpower in mental illness. These are just innate skills that a person has that they're able to use. And, uh, you know, when I when I talk to people that, you know, say, no, 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 I'm, I'm turning my mental illnesses, negatives into positives. On one hand, I want to be like, no, there's no positive about mental illness. But on the other hand, I I really appreciate the reframing. And this is why I am so glad that there are multiple voices out there. Because the reality is, is, 
you know, I'm, I'm kind of a realist. I'm kind of a pessimistic guy. And that's how I choose to deal with my, you know, symptoms and mental illness. But other people are more optimistic and they see things differently and they're going to completely agree with you. And, and this is why I feel that all voices are important because if you were the only voice, you'd never connect to me. And if I was the only voice, I'd never connect to you. But, but thankfully, multiple voices allows everybody to feel connected. And we're all on the same side. So so thank you. Well, thank you. And I mean, you know, thank you for sharing as well. And, you know, I would say I'm more on the optimist scale of that. However, my anxiety, and I'm sure you guys experienced it with your mental health as well, it's almost like a Jekyll and Hyde type thing where one minute oh, yes. I'm an optimist <laughs> and in a split second and snap of a finger, I can be the worst pessimist in the world and all life is going down the drain and I'm a failure and I'm a, it's a waste of time and blah, blah, blah. You guys know the drill, right? So, you know, it, it's a snap of a finger yeah. and it can change in a split second. I can be the pessimist. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So I can be yeah. Mr. Hyde, yeah. you know, and, and it can just switch in, in flash. And it's very frustrating sometimes, but I'm so back and forth and I yo-yo so much with my mood with anxiety that I know that there's going to be some sort of snap of a flash and I'm going to be Optimus Brett again in like the next millisecond or half an hour or the next day, you know, so I know that that's coming. So <laughs> that kind of gives me a little bit of hope because I'm like, well, I know the, the, the Optimus resilient, stubborn Brett is in there somewhere and she's got to come out eventually, <laughs> just poke it a little bit, you know? That is very cool. And I think this is a nice segue into self-stigma because you talk about self-stigma a lot and in the different ways that it affects us. So can you talk about that a little bit? So, you know, a lot of people really undervalue what they say to themselves. And, and they, I mean, anxiety and all mental illness is like, it puts those doubts in your head where it's like, I'm a failure, I'm not good enough. And it's continuing to tell you everything that you can't and won't or should have and could have you know my counselor says focus on the can do's and the have done but that's not anxiety so anxiety is like you know the angel and the devil sitting on your shoulder it's like the devil that's there all of the time you know just whispering in your ear that you're not good enough and so that's you know a big part of stigma and and sometimes it's, it's easier to control and other times it's not easy to control at all you have this way that you feel you should be and I think as human beings naturally with or without mental illness we have you know that self-critic to our where we try to make ourselves feel like we should be this or we should be that or we should have more money or we should have a better job or we should you know be married by now or all these things that we say the should have we, we naturally are programmed to think of that as human beings like our society seems to always focus on oh I'm not skinny enough I'm not I'm not well off enough and so we focus on the negatives naturally as a society, throw mental health in the mix, and we're really giving ourselves a hard time. And so it's just this continuing negative Nancy in your head. And so we give ourselves this self-stigma where it's almost turning into a double depression. So I don't know if you guys have that or not, but like when you're depressed, you're like, oh, crud, like, why am I depressed? I shouldn't be depressed right now. So you get depressed about being depressed. Yeah, guilt. Right? I get anxiety about having anxiety. I'm like, why am I anxious right now? Like, and then I start to overthink, like, why am I just anxious? Yeah. So it's, it's an anxiety about having anxiety, depression about having depression. And it's really this spiral. If you don't stop it, it can get out of hand really, really fast. So that's a really big role that, that my anxiety has tried to, you know, play in my own mental health is it's tried to give me anxiety about being anxious or feeling depressed about being depressed. And it just really gets us nowhere. And so we also undervalue 
the self-care in that as well. So we forget to take care of our minds and our bodies while we're going through that. Yep. Sounds about right to me. Not wrong at all. Yeah. Now that you've mentioned self-care, there are misconceptions about self-care out there. Self-care, emotional well-being, all of these things. Can you talk about some of those misconceptions? I'd say one of the biggest misconceptions about self-care is that it's selfish. We hear this, you can't take care of somebody uh, to the best of your ability until you're taken care of. I mean, why do you think when you go on a plane, the safety demonstration says, put your own air mask on first and then help others? So when you are breathing properly, your brain is more clear and therefore you can help other people put their mask on, such as children, other people that may need help, somebody that you're with. But as soon as you have that breath of air and you get that oxygen flowing in into your body, you're thinking more clearly because you're taken care of. So that's exactly the same reason why they tell you to put that mask on first for yourself and then help others is because if we don't take care of ourselves, we can't give others our everything. So we can't take care of our spouses, our children, our friends and be there for them as much as we could be with with our own self-care so we're we're giving ourselves or we're i guess losing uh, not only the self-care and all of its benefits and we're but we're also losing possible potential to to be something more to somebody else that we love another common misconception would be that you know i don't need self-care i'm good um everybody needs self-care people with or without mental illness people with mental illness obviously have to find out you know really what works for them i mean that's for everybody everybody it's important that they know what works for them. Uh, another one would be that it's not that important. Well, it really is. And then the one, you know, with along with selfish is that, you know, people think I need to take care of everybody else first and then I can take care of me. Um, and then the last one, I guess, is, that I would say is most common is that, you know, it takes a lot of time. Well, no, it actually doesn't. You know, talking about meditation, you can do that twice a day for 10 minutes. It's literally the amount of time that you would spend, you know, going and, and freshening up and brushing your hair or something. So you go and you brush your hair. So instead of going to brush your hair, or maybe you need to brush your hair too, you know, spend five minutes just meditating and breathing. You know, people really think that it takes, oh, I've got to invest three hours a day into going to the gym, eating right, all this stuff. And so people get very overwhelmed because they're like, oh, I have to start with three hours of self-care in order to get anywhere. Well, no, it can start with like five minutes a day. So people really have that that's a really big misconception as well that's how I felt initially when I started reading self-help books when I was you know after my miscarriage and my depression and suicide attempts I started reading books and I went boy do I have a lot to do <laughs> like if I want to turn my life around holy man like am I ever going to get there and sometimes I still <laughs> feel like that where I'll go and see my counselor and I'll be like oh boy I just wrote down 18 things that I think that I have to do and so I'll take that back to my counselor the next time and she'll be like Brett what are you doing? Like, these are not 18 things you have to do. The stuff we talked about isn't things that you need to check off your list and improve on yourself. There are things that, you know, where you, you know, we, we could eventually get to, like, that doesn't need to happen right now. And I'm like, well, I got a plan, you know, and she's like, that's going to take you like half the working day to get done today. And I'm like, okay, right. So let's, let's do the five or 10 minute thing. Right. So we all, we all, I think do that, you know, and you get overwhelmed, like, holy man, do I ever have a lot to work on before I, my mental health improves? Or do I ever have a lot to work on before I lose weight? You know, and people just think that it's going to be this long, drawn out, tedious task. And it's really not. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. Makes sense completely. Brett, the time just flies by. Before we close out the show, can you tell folks where we can find you? So you can go on my website at mentalhealthspeaks.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. The handle would be at Brett Speaks Now. 
Brett, thank you so much. You were a great guest. We look forward to having you on the show again. It was absolutely wonderful. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, guys, and also for sharing you know, your own personal lives with me. You're very welcome. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And remember, you can get one week of free, convenient, affordable, private, online counseling anytime, anywhere, just by visiting betterhelp.com slash psychcentral. We will see everybody next week. Thank you for listening to The Psych Central Show. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you found this podcast. We encourage you to share our show on social media and with friends and family. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show. Psychcentral.com is the internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website. Psych Central is overseen by Dr. John Grohall, a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. Our host, Gabe Howard, is an award-winning writer and speaker who travels nationally. You can find more information on Gabe at GabeHoward.com. Our co-host, Vincent M. Wales, is a trained suicide prevention crisis counselor and author of several award-winning speculative fiction novels. You can learn more about Vincent at VincentMWales.com. If you have feedback about the show, please email talkback at psychcentral.com. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.